friend. It's Andra Zaharia, and I'm grateful you chose to be my partner in cyber empathy today. Journey with me through the lives and minds of people who prioritize connection, curiosity, and kindness in everything they do. Let's find out together how empathy cultivates hope, how it builds resilience, and helps us see how our actions influence others. It's time to unlearn stereotypes and see beyond technology to discover what truly makes our world safer. I'll help you carry over these insights and examples into your everyday practice. Promise. Let's go exploring, shall we? Where we stand depends on where we sit. Each of us tends to think we see things as they are, that we are objective. But this is not the case. We see the world not as it is, but as we, or as we are conditioned to see it. When we open our mouths to describe what we see, we in effect describe ourselves, our perceptions, our paradigms. This is one of the probably most recognizable paragraphs from Stephen R. Covey's book from 1989, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Powerful Lessons in Personal Change. Now, this is one of the most well-known self-development books, and this happens for a reason. It's because it's really good. If you haven't read it, don't get stuck on the headline. Don't get stuck on the title. The content is really life-changing if you apply it, just like every other good thing in our lives. There are two other very short quotes that I want to extract from the book, and then I'll explain how it's connected to this episode. When the trust account is high, communication is easy, instant, and effective. And to learn and not to do is really not to learn. To know and not to do is really not to know. Now, this is a very simple way of saying that practice is what makes change what creates change. And I think that we both know this, but it's so difficult sometimes to change. It's so difficult to know how to apply our skills, especially if we're talking about quote unquote soft skills, which are so much more difficult to to capture sometimes because they're nuanced, but they're not impossible to develop. And this is actually one of the things that you'll find in this conversation with today's guest, Sebastian Avarve, who spent his entire adult life working in security and who not only has become a proficient technical leader, but one of the kindest managers that I know, one of the best leaders, the most, one of the most wholehearted people in the cybersecurity industry. Now, Sebastian left me with a question that you're going to find in this episode, along with many other examples and frameworks and questions and words that you can actually use all day, every day in your work, in your relationships, at home and wherever else you need them. And the question is, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And if you haven't had a chance to read it, There is a manifesto that I wrote for Cyber Empathy at the beginning of the podcast. I made this because I wanted to explain why I'm making this podcast. And the first episode of Cyber Empathy is actually all about that. 
I wanted to connect to that deep motivation of why I'm doing this and what is the problem that I'm trying to solve. And I find that even 30 episodes later, my mission is the same. The problem that I'm trying to solve is the disconnect between people, the disconnect between people in security and the people they serve, and sometimes between just peers in security as well. I'm trying to help bridge that disconnect by making empathy a practical skill that just dissolves tension, that creates pace, that creates connection, that helps people work together and recognize the good in each other. So it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Sebastian Ovarvi, one of the people who is capable of inspiring others to pursue this path and to pursue this kind of development that not only enhances technical skill, but it just makes life better. So welcome to the fourth season of the Cyber Empathy Podcast. Thank you for being here. And I hope you get as much joy and as much inspiration from this conversation as I did. Thank you for being here. It's been a couple of months since I saw you speak at Def Camp. And now I, I finally have the opportunity to talk to you about your presentation and how that kind of plugs into your entire experience in cybersecurity so far, which is pretty amazing. It spans so many areas of security that I'm really excited to explore today. So this is the official welcome to the Cyber Empathy Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. And yeah, I've been uh, listening to the podcast for quite some time, and I met you uh, in one of the earliest Def Camps, and it was a really good experience. That I always uh, look forward to coming back to Def Camp. I think last year was the session when I really started to feel what it is to give a good presentation. We were discussing earlier, and I really got a lot of feedback, and I felt a very good interaction with the audience. Sometime later, I was, I was thinking, why was it different? Why was it so much better this time? Why did I get so many questions from the audience? Why, why did I get so many interactions afterwards? People coming and say, oh, I loved it. And I got to think, and here's something that I had in mind after I listened to the presentation. And it actually took a few months and I had a weekend where I put some, uh, some technology away, less time with the, <laughs> with, with the phone and had the really good insight. It's because the presentation was really coming more from here, from the heart, and less from, from the mind. It was maybe the first presentation where I felt sufficiently confident in myself because I got into public speaking in order to conquer my fear of public speaking. But I got to the point where I'm confident enough to really speak from the heart, not just from the mind. And I think that's what changed and it Yesterday, I gave another presentation at the OWASP chapter here in, uh, in the Netherlands, and I had the same. I'm not here to teach you something. I'm not here to enumerate some bullet points from a PowerPoint. No, I'm, I'm here to share a story, and that makes a lot of difference. And I think this also applies to many areas in cybersecurity in general, and especially in cybersecurity leadership. When, when you start 
leading a little bit more with the heart, not just not just with the mind. Yes, it's a technical field. Yes, there are so many technical details and sometimes you have to be strict and even harsh. But at the end of the day, we don't do security for the sake of security. We, we do security to protect an organization, to protect the people in, the, in that organization. It's not just to protect the computers. Absolutely true. And even from the first time that I saw you speak, because you say that this is, you've now reached a level where you feel you can get more personal in, in the presentations that you give. But I felt that th there was always a, a special kindness about how you presented things. Even when I saw you first speak at Def Camp, and I re don't precisely recall the topic, but it was definitely a lot more technical you still delivered it with a lot of kindness. And I think that this is one of the first things that really impacted me so powerfully, not just about being in Def Camp, which for those who don't know is a cybersecurity conference, the biggest one in uh, Eastern and Central Europe that kind of brings together 2000 people every year in a very cozy <laughs> atmosphere. It's not just having this this experience of kindness, but also having this direct access to what it means to be a true leader in this space. And you are a true leader and the way that you presented things at Def Camp, the way that you stretched people to go beyond what they were expecting, I think that it's not just taking a counterintuitive approach just for the sake of it, but rather It was a very well-rounded experience with your presentation. It was not just technical. It was not just about building businesses. It was also about building ourselves and then building the teams and the people around us. So because I know that we're talking, we're, we're talking about something that we know, but listeners don't know what we're talking about. Could you give like a quick overview of what the presentation was then and how it inspired your actions over the last almost eight months, I think. It was a talk that I had in mind for quite a while. It was based on Stephen Covey's Seven Habits uh, book and the principles from that book. And it's something that I read uh, a long time ago, and it's something that was quite inspirational. And it's something where I also have to be to give uh, big props and kudos to um, to my wife Alina. She's a psychologist by training. She she worked in this field, and I I learned a lot from her. And we have a very um, interesting combination of skills. I come from a more technical background in software development uh, originally, but I learned a lot from her over, over time, including and she. Uh, this is one of her areas of expertise, and she taught me about this kind of principles and not only how to read about them, but how to apply them. Because that, that's a big difference. Reading a book is not the same thing as leaving it and applying it. And I tried over time to interiorize the, the principles from the book. At some point, it, it started to click. It start, I could feel it working. I, I could feel it helping in my growth in my career and becoming, hopefully, um, a better manager. That's why I thought, I want to share that because I see a lot of people in, in our industry coming from the technical background, either with an expectation or they're being pushed to go into a management role without actually building up the skill set. And because they think either it's something that you have or you don't, and you're going to do your best and you're going to use your technical knowledge to be a good manager. 
which of course it helps. We are in a technical field and you do need to understand the technical details. But one of the points that I were trying to make in the presentation is that just as we learn all those technical skills, we can learn the soft skills in exactly the same way. It's a step-by-step approach. And this is even a foundation in Stephen Covey's book. It's a set of habits that you develop. It's not some natural abilities that you have to have in order to, uh, to be a good leader. It's something that you have to practice. It's something that you have to intentionally develop. And that intentionality is, is a key element of it. It's strange to me, and it just dawned on me how we think about hard skills. I, I don't necessarily like the terms hard skills and soft skills, but let's go with those because everyone knows them. We don't think of those hard skills as part of our identity. I mean, we don't expect to be born with them, with knowing engineering and math and science and all of those things. But when we talk about soft skills, we kind of expect to have them innately. And just like you mentioned, knowing what good communication is, is not the same as practicing it. Knowing what empathy is, not the same thing as practicing it. I feel like when someone, people get really defensive when they're told that they could improve in terms of how they explain things, how they communicate to people, how they relate to them, how they listen to other people, because it feels like they should be already in there somewhere. And when they're not, we feel less than. But that's so that's that's such a unrealistic expectation that we have of ourselves to have all of those skills without working for them, without trying, without intentionally developing them. It's not only that, it's actually a sign that we're not looking to ourselves with kind eyes. Because when somebody presents us with an opportunity to be better, to develop, to grow we default to taking it as a criticism. That person just told me that I'm not good enough. Instead of looking at, oh, that person just opened a new door for me or showed me a new direction in which I could continue my development. We default to thinking little of ourselves. Oh, we're being criticized. We're, we're not good enough. No, we're, we're good enough for now. It doesn't mean that we cannot grow. We, we do want to grow. We do want to, to develop. What do you think people who are able to nurture this, this curiosity, so this curious mindset, the idea that let's see why this happened. Let's see why this person told me this. Let's see what happens if I try to do this thing. What do they do differently from the people that remain anchored in this resistance that usually really gets in the way of good relationships? throughout our lives, no matter where we have those relationships? It can be multiple factors. One of them is a positive mindset, as I explained earlier. It's really looking towards how can I do better? What can I do more? And really listening to the positive intent from the others. Of course, it's also great to know how to give feedback. And that, that is a big skill in itself. And there are so many books and frameworks about how to give positive feedback and uh, we could do a whole podcast just on that one. That might be an interesting topic. But also being able to listen in a positive manner. Whatever somebody is telling me, how can I take the positive, the silver lining from, from that message, even in the cases when it was intended to be negative or, or malicious? Let me be the one who takes the positive. So people who move forward have that mindset. Yes, you can also move forward out of spite or just want to prove something. It can be a driver as well, but 
the positive, the development mindset, the growth mindset is a much more effective driver. And something that I was sharing in the talk uh, Dev Camp last year was also the fact that you can relate to things that you're familiar with. We were addressing a, a room filled with people that spent nights over, <laughs> over many years practicing the skills, getting very good at hacking, at coding. And I was telling you, look, you're, you're seeing managers as somebody who was born with, with those skills. They see you in the same way. Managers look at you and, well, you must have had a different kind of brain to be able to, be able to learn all those skills. No, you really applied yourself. You, you were intentional. You, you put in the time. You practice until you got good at it. The same thing you can do in other areas as well. That's why I like to, to keep different hobbies. So I, I like computers and I, I like tinkering. I, I like playing games, <laughs> spending more time than I should. But I also love working in my garden. Yeah, it's not a big garden, but I like working with my hands, seeing all those flowers growing, being, you know, having that pride that regardless of the season, there is something blooming in, in the garden. It's good to, to have multiple anchor points. I, mean, I, I do also uh, long distance running, where, which is a very good thinking time. It's my me time to, to think. And I, even that presentation, probably half of it, I wrote it in my mind while, while jogging. Have those habits. Look for different perspectives at the world. And that will help you to apply yourself in other areas to make the switch, if you want to, from growing on the tec technical side to also growing as a manager, as a leader, and seeing how can you help others better. And it is so fascinating. I mean, the people who fascinate us the most, the people who seem so at ease in the world most of the time and who bring this positivity and, and kind of transmit this energy, they usually have these kind of very diverse set of interests. They always poke around outside their industry, their space, their uh, profession, just like you're, you're doing long distance running and, and gardening, which is uh, absolutely beautiful. I'm actually going to include tweets of your wonderful garden in the description because they're just delightful. I actually have another example of a speaker that I recently saw at Offensive Con, and she was a pastry chef. Then she was an acrobat actually hired at a circus. And now she's a vulnerability researcher. Again, that's just a wonderful life story. Like, how did you get from this to that? How did this happen? That's such a great conversation starter. And that's what creates that connection between people, which can build anything and, and solve anything. I remain a huge believer in the fact that if we manage to get past our differences and, and approach things with curiosity and kindness and wanting to, to understand, I think that we can all literally do anything. We can completely build something together. And that sense of camaraderie and connection, there's almost nothing more rewarding than that. And I think that this is something that our space, the cybersecurity space, is still not not using enough, not discovering enough, not highlighting enough. Although it is getting better and we have podcasts such as yours and we see so many communities. I mean, OWASP, where uh, I spoke yesterday, is such a vibrant community and people coming together and sharing ideas and just 
being there to, together. It's quite a great feeling, and it brings that human dimension to to what we're doing. And it really reminds us that we are here to protect organizations, to protect people, not to protect computers. <laughs> That's not what we do. That is just the means to get to that uh, to that end. And you were saying earlier about understanding, and this is one of the key principles in Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, and maybe one that is the most related to the uh, to the empathy, which is search first to to understand and then to be understood. And you can take that phrase to to mean many things. It actually took me a while to understand what does it mean to understand? What does it mean to understand? How do you actually listen? And how does it help? Because it's not just about understanding, okay, I understand what you mean, but I'm here to tell you what uh, what I want. It's about understanding and then embedding my message and putting that message next to yours, trying to come with something that is even better than the sum of our parts. It's not just the combination of of our ideas. It's not just one plus one equal, equals two. That is another, uh, it's another habit from um, Stephen Covey's, the, the synergize habit, where you're looking for more than the sum of the parts. He has a saying that synergy is not compromise. Compromise is when one plus one equals one and a half at best. Synergy is when one plus one can be 10 or 100. Because you start with something from two sides, and when you put them together, you create something that is more than those parts, something that is new, something that combines and adds to to those elements. And looking for those synergies, looking for that understanding helps tremendously, especially if you want to, to be a good leader. And it's a step that at some point we have to make. Right now, I'm managing a team where... There isn't anybody in the team who knows less than I do, actually. I'm the one who knows least about each of their areas of expertise. And I'm perfectly com- comfortable with that. And I'm happy to see them growing. And yeah, they're doing things that I couldn't even be dreaming of. My role is not to be better than them. It's And definitely my role is not to boost my ego by putting them down and saying, oh, no, I'm, I'm the good. No, I'm there to help them to facilitate them so they can be the best that they can because they can be really, really, really good. <laughs> the simple fact that you're creating the space for them and that you're recognizing this in them and that you have this this partnership, I think that that is incredibly valuable. I was wondering, have you had people in your lives that have kind of influenced your approach to to management and to how you build teams did you see kind of bits and pieces of this behavior in other people? And how have those people influenced your decisions and kind of your twists and turns in cybersecurity? No, I was, I was happy to have a lot of people from whom to learn. I, I even have former managers with whom I still go out to dinner from time to time and we still keep in contact. But I have people that I work with, uh, which we really didn't get along. But even from them, or maybe even more from them, I learned a lot. And that's a very useful skill to have, to learn even from the people you don't like or you don't agree, or when you see the mistakes, okay, that's something I would like to avoid doing. What is the consequence of that? How did that 
negative mindset, for example, impacted the team that uh, that we are in. How do I avoid doing that in, in the future? You can learn from everybody. I learned a lot from my wife as well. I learned from my kids. I learned when I give when I give a talk in being again yesterday I was on stage and at the end somebody asked a question about if I have some thoughts about framework for policy as a as a code and how to to manage clauses in the code. Something that I was not familiar with. And I said, I'm very happy you, you brought up that question. I have no idea what that framework is, but I will definitely look look into it because it sounds like something interesting. Be ready to learn in every moment and get yourself a bit out of the way. And trust me, that's a learned skill in itself. And it took me a long time to learn it. It's sometimes our egos are the ones that get most in the way. And I think it was the Def Camp or in another podcast where I had the question, what helped me more or most to grow? And I said, when I decided to let my ego to get out of the way, I actually want to listen more to others. That that opened up the path for me to, to grow. And that is so much easier said than done. It doesn't mean that it's impossible, of course, but I think that because these things are so nuanced, so letting go of ego, practicing empathy, practicing self-compassion, knowing what that feels like, those things are very nuanced and sometimes we don't either have the vocabulary for them or we don't know exactly what they, we can isolate them in practice. And for, for practical, pragmatic people who like frameworks and need a set of steps and things like that, this is a bit of an uncharted territory. You, you need to be comfortable with not being comfortable <laughs> for, for a while until you start. I, I feel like it's, it's that observation bias, I think, that is called when you're focused on learning something and then you suddenly learn to recognize it in other people's behaviors and examples and conversation books, videos, whatever it is. And then you can start to assemble this kind of body of knowledge that you can then use to, to elevate your soft skills, whatever they are. But it does take a little bit of time. And I think that they're so important because I see you coming into, into the community and talking about things. I see how Having these abilities elevates people, technical professionals, careers, their impact in the community, and even their relationship with their own work. Have you felt a change in, in how, you, how you relate to your own work? And do you remember when that happened? Definitely, there, there was a change. I don't know if there was a particular time, but I can see certain milestones in in my career path. I think one of the moments when I started to seriously considering that I might want to look into this leadership thing because it it sounds interesting and maybe it's something I might want to do is I was working in a a consulting organization uh, many years ago and we had uh, one colleague who was really good technically. He, uh, He was a brilliant security architect. But customer after customer were saying, we're so happy with the work he delivered. Please don't put him in our, uh, in our contract again. We don't want to work him again, even though we absolutely are amazed about the, the quality of the work he delivered. And he was not understanding himself what was happening. And he was really being considered for being, for being uh, what was the fancy term at the time, being made redundant. And 
I was talking with our managers at the time. I said, can I have some conversations with him? See if I can help a little bit here. And we started discussing. And uh, at the time, I was already learning a little bit from my wife. And I was, uh, I think it's about that time when I started reading books like Stephen Covey's. And I was able in just a few conversations to shift a little bit his perspective. And he began to realize himself what the problem is, where were those conversations going wrong. And he was just genuinely surprised to see himself that, oh, I'm, I thought I'm doing a great job. I was focusing on the technical because we have so many contracts. We have so little time and the customer really wants to, to be this to be done as quickly as possible with and with as fewer billable hours as, as possible. So I, I was just focusing on that. I just wanted to get that done and everything else was feeling redundant. And just by changing that perspective, he was able to turn around. He stayed in the organization uh, for, uh, for many years after. And that was one of the change moments for me. Like, I can actually make a difference. But then every, every time I learned some, something new and I would see it working, I, I would see my colleagues reacting better. I could see my team becoming more positive and getting positive feedback from, from them. It's a step-by-step process. It's not an overnight thing. That sometimes we have the expectation that, oh, we, we learn one thing and it's going to change our world. Yes, it's going to make an impact, but it's, it's complicated. It's complex. It's human. And there are small bits here and there, and we keep putting them together. And it, in, at some point, you realize that, I, have a, I know a lot. I can do a lot. And, and it's getting better. But one step at a time. And uh, you were saying earlier about, you know, we we're so used with uh, technical frameworks and we're, we use them. And we actually have the same on the soft skills side. There are so many frameworks. It's just we don't know about them as much as we, as we do. And here, maybe the uh, HR organizations in the, in the companies could do a little bit more to promote those, uh, those frameworks, to make them available, to make the tools known so people can pick up on them. We have everything from uh, appreciative listening. That is actually a framework, a set of very well-defined skills that you can learn. Going more in, into management skills, you have things like Ken, Bl- Ken Blanchard's situational leadership framework, which is an absolutely brilliant and very usable framework. We have them. We just need to learn that they exist and spend a little bit of time in uh, getting to know them. Yeah, so we just had um, a little bit of a technical glitch, but actually we can, we can put a bit of that into, into the uh, podcast because, yeah, sometimes life happens and that's another skill you, you need to develop, being a bit more accepted. And it's a skill that I had to, to develop it. When things go unexpectedly, when things crash, and I'm still working on it. Just, just before the podcast, I was moving some stuff around that I managed to, to break into glasses. And, and I was so, so annoyed. And I, again, felt so frustrated. And some of the old habits that I was trying to get rid of, then resurfaced. And I was absolutely furious about, I have a few minutes until the podcast. And yes, life happens. Things break. Computers crash. We can learn to deal better with those situations. That, that's, that's a very useful skill. Being able to deal calmly 
with all the curveballs that life can throw at you, and especially the, the business life, that's a very useful skill. And it's especially useful for yourself, for your own sanity. And yes, it's a very long-term process. You're not going to get good at it overnight. And as I said, I'm, I'm working on it for a while, and still I get absolutely fuming and shouting for two damn glasses that we're actually just looking for a new place to, to give them away because we don't need them. We get so hang up and yeah, it's, it's a process, but it's good to, to see when are we making the progress and recognizing, okay, this one didn't go as well as it could, but at least I see it. And it's, it's not happening maybe that often. It's not happening as explosive as, as it used to be. So yeah, we're, we have to be kind to, to ourselves a little bit more. And this is one of, the, one of the other habits that maybe it's important to learn as a good empathic leader. We have to be good and to like ourselves first. Because if we are not good to ourselves, it's going to be very difficult to be good to others. Even, even when it comes with good intention, and I, I've seen that, I've been in that place where we put ourselves down and we take much more weight and much more work on our plate than we should because we think we, may, we make a good thing for the others. And we have to be careful. We have to be good to ourselves. We have to appreciate ourselves so we can be good to the, to the others. It's nice to be a hero, but be careful if you're a positive or a negative hero. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. Especially because we also influence people with our examples. And if we have managers that are constantly burning out, that they're constantly stressed, that that trickles into the team. That definitely does. And and yes, this, this kind of self-compassion is something that I've been working in therapy on a lot. And it was so difficult in the beginning because I didn't know how. I'm also very harsh with myself and I tend to punish myself and demand a lot of myself. And obviously those are things that we have in, just internalized as, as children and it's hard to let go of, of those things. But having someone remind you that it's okay to make mistakes, that it's okay to be kind to yourself, even when you don't feel like <laughs> being nice to yourself I found that this happens a lot. And I've, I personally, I've had the privilege to work with both managers and, and work with colleagues and partners and have friends that have this ability to remind me this and I do this for them. And it's a constant cycle of learning how to soothe each other and our, ourselves individually, which is really, I find that it's such a generous thing to do. And that change may be incremental. It may not be constant. This is also something important that I learned that I, I think it has a good place here, not to expect ourselves to make constant progress in this and to never have relapses, I guess. But change does also have a snowball effect. It has a very powerful compound effect. And you realize that five years, 10 years, of doing this work results in a beautiful transformation and being more comfortable with yourself, with others, with having more open-hearted and open-minded conversations and giving, again, putting that example out there and then see who resonates with it, which is what you've been doing for such a long time. 
I've been trying. And I know we both come from a culture that tends to be a bit more on the dark humor kind of side. And and it's and dark humor is still is still fun. But we do look at things a bit a bit differently. And it's something that we we have to learn to to change. And you were saying earlier, and yeah, we have to learn that it's it's okay to not be okay. Actually, in our, in our case, I think it's also something we need to learn that it's it's okay to be okay. We, <laughs> I used to be in a position where if something was going well, I'm happy. Okay, okay, let me sit down because something bad must be coming. And I, what do you mean be happy? What do you mean to feel content? That's that's not a natural state. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Our our cultural anchors are are very powerful and very hard to let go of too. It takes a lot of again intentional work and awareness to to make sure. But it also it it starts with awareness. That's where it starts. We realize this these things. We pick up on them, and then we create that space where we can react differently. Because if we're just going as programmed, that's not going to to kind of bring on any change. No, absolutely, and and it's and it's something that you can practice exactly with with the words and something that I've seen in myself in, in the past and I've seen many others around us doing receiving compliments. We are actually quite often not good at receiving compliments and we take it as a joke. I, I used to take it very, you know, every time somebody was paying me a compliment, I would have to diminish it to, re- oh, love, love your, your jacket today. Uh, come on. Or just finding something wrong with it. And, how about I learn just to say, thank you. That's actually very kind of you. It's those small things that make a huge difference. And it's those are the kind of small habits that are easy to make. Making a habit of not getting angry, that's not an easy goal. And it's not something you would achieve in itself. Making a habit out of when somebody pays me a compliment, I'm going to respond kindly and, kindly and actually appreciate that compliment, that's a small step, easy to make, and very powerful. And it's it's the same with, you can apply it in many areas, time management. Right? I was making a list earlier, what would be the, uh, some of the, or what would be the seven habits of an empathic leader? One of them was time management in the sense of, we have to be kind and respectful of our own time and organize our time better so we can organize the time of others in a better way. And if you remember, in the, one of the things that I had in the uh, presentation of DevCamp was, as managers, we tend to think in how long a task does it take and how long it takes us to think about the task. We call it the, the five-minute tasks. Yeah, it, it takes me five minutes to, to think or to describe that task. And I tend to forget that it will take a week or a month or a year for the other party to actually do it. And it's valid both within our teams and how do we manage and how are we mindful in our team of how do we place the burden? Can we put something that is reasonable and do we really understand how long it takes? But it's also relevant for us in security because in security, we keep telling others, oh, you have to fix this, you have to patch that one, you have to upgrade that system, you have to decommission that legacy system. And we keep throwing things over the fence. But are we thinking about the context? Do we think, right, how long will will it take to that department to get rid of that system? What will be the consequences? It doesn't mean that we have to take that as an excuse not to do it, 
but it just makes us better at planning and prioritizing and saying, right, I would like you to do these five things. I realize how much time they they take, what burden do they put, then this is the order of priority. So at least I put the first things first, the the ones that I really want to get patched today. I put that at at the top of the list and I understand what happens then with with the others. Being mindful of our time helps us to be mindful of other people's time. Wow, that's a really great lesson. That's a really, really great lesson, especially because the less we know about other people's jobs, the more we tend to assume that they're easier than they really are. And one way that we can actually practice empathy is to ask questions and let other people explain what it takes, what it involves or just give them the freedom to decide, just like you mentioned, give them the freedom to either prioritize their work or communicate freely and without fearing that they'll be considered incompetent or unwilling to do something. And just, uh, yeah, create that space for them. What other habits are on your list? Because that is a very powerful list and I, I really want to have a chance for the listeners to, to, to really go through it. So actually, we've already covered a, f- a few of them. Seeking first to un- to understand and then to be uh, to be understood. So that that's really foundational, and this is all uh, where it starts. And this is not an isolated habit or an isolated principle. All these principles, just like in uh, the principles from uh, Stephen Covey's book, they work together and they enforce each other. For example, we are talking about time management and being mindful of other people or other departments' time. In order to to do that. You have to understand what they're doing and really, really understand it. We we have the bad habit sometimes of listening just so we can prepare the counter argument. That's another skill that we quite often have to work on. Listening for the sake of understanding, not just for the sake of preparing a counter argument. That's a, that's a very important habit. Beginning with the end in mind, one of the Covey's uh, foundational principles as well, which means thinking where you want to end. What is your goal, which then dovetails into building plans, building roadmaps, writing mission statements. And and a few months ago, I organized one of our quarterly um, uh, team days with my team. And one of the goals for for that event for me was, I want to have our team mission statement. What is our mission statement as the security team? which sounds easy, I, I set aside three hours for it, and it was barely enough. And that is after saying in advance, I want to work on this, or there was even before time to, to think about it, but bringing all those ideas together and, and listening to, to everybody and what is the value in each contribution from every person and how do we select which ones we keep and how do we select the ones that you say, this is actually a good one, but we have a limited space, a limited size of the mission statement. And let's prioritize what is the most representative. Beginning with the, with the end in mind, defining where you want to get and how to get there. That's, that's a very important skill. And again, planning is not something that we easily do. We live a lot from crisis to crisis, especially in security. And it's addictive. I love doing incident management. Leading an incident response team, it's so addictive because you're in the 
thick of things and, and everything is coming at you fast and your adrenaline is really spiking. I do also paragliding, jumping from a mountain with just a piece of cloth above your, above your head is nowhere near as adrenaline inducing as leading the incident response team for a major incident. But we have to do more. We have to sit down, think ahead, plan. And sometimes we have to do that, you know, just find time for yourself and making that space for yourself to have that thinking time. It's, it's not easy in, in today. I'm scared of how many emails I get and I constantly look at how can I reduce that because everything is something that requires attention, something that is a crisis waiting to happen if I, if I don't answer it. And I have to push that away and say, no, I need to make time to think, to plan, to say what's going to be the end that we want to reach to. This is actually one of the key reasons why I wanted to talk to you for the podcast, because even if you're, you're leading this big team for a big company with loads of responsibilities that never end, they're never going to end, but still you make time for all of these things. You make time for community, you make time for yourself, for your health, for your family, for everything else. And to me, you're an example that this is possible. This is not just something that's idealistic. It's not just something that people post about on LinkedIn with their morning routine and things like that. It's something that's actually attainable. You can have a high responsibility role and you can be a good manager and still remain compassionate to yourself. It's not easy. Yes, it takes work. It takes practice. It takes years. It takes a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of acknowledgement and also a lot of support, both giving support and, and receiving that support. But it is possible. And I, I love that you're going into so much detail about these situations and these very specific examples because they paint a very accurate picture and they even give people words to work with and questions to work with. That's how we actually end up practicing these things and not just thinking about them and feeling momentarily inspired, but we actually get to translate that into action. And hopefully it's something that people can use. And I'm nowhere as good as you make me to be, but it, it definitely paints a picture of something that I, I'm aspiring to. And, Speaking of compliments, and, perhaps yeah. this is a good chance. Oh, no, I, I, and I appreciate And I'm just saying, I'm not there yet, but I'm on that path and I know where I, where I want to go. And hopefully some of the things that we discuss here do stick with, uh, with the audience. For me, we were talking about things that stayed with us for, uh, for a long time. This was actually something that I picked up from another podcast. It was, uh, I think, down the security rabbit hole uh, podcast at the time, maybe quite a few years ago. And I heard a phrase that I'm overusing to an extreme, which is, what is the problem we're trying to solve? It's a very simple sentence, but it's so useful in so many different circumstances. And actually, now that I think about it, it, it resonates with, uh, and it's very closely related to this idea of thinking and making time to think about what do we want to be and where do we want to go. It's a sentence that I use in everything from one-on-one meetings to meetings with the board. It gives me the chance to pause the conversation a bit, to get out of that rush, out of that adrenaline of we have so many problems that we're trying to solve in this meeting to, okay, let's take a step back. Do we understand what's the problem we're trying to solve? What is the problem we're trying trying to solve? Let's define that problem. And 
let's keep asking that question until we got to the root of the problem. And it helped me in so many situations. It's a very simple sentence that you can use in almost everything. What's the problem we're trying to solve? It can be even in your life. I want to improve something about myself. Why? What's the problem that I want to solve? Oh, it's this one. That will help me to get to that solution much, much, uh, much faster. Same with security. We want to fix things. Oh, we need that system patched. Why? What's the problem we're trying to solve? What happens if that system is not patched? Oh, that happens. And that is the impact for the organization. And it helps us to understand the why. And it helps the others. Yep. Creating that shared understanding, which sometimes we assume is there and is often not there. And it really combines because some people might think that this kind of conversations, oh, that's, it's so nice and so fluffy and so, so good spirited. But yeah, we live in the real world. We have nine to five jobs that we, or in some cases, nine, nine to nine jobs. But yeah, how do we apply this? You can actually do it. Again, another seminal moment for me was I was just starting in, in security and I was writing security policies at the time where I was updating them. And it was at a time where the security team was not the most loved in the company, especially with the project management teams, because it doesn't have, okay, they were, we have this project, we need to get it done. Can you approve it? Mm, no, that's a no. You're violating the policies. Go away. Do it again. We weren't making a lot of, or especially I wasn't making a lot of friends at the time. And then I got the task to, to update some of our security policies. and. I had the brilliant idea, I, I will say it for myself, I had an absolutely brilliant idea for each requirement in the policy, let's write the rationale, the reason for that policy. What's the problem we're trying to solve here? If we, if we want you to do this, if we wanted to have passwords encrypted in, uh, when they are stored in the uh, database, sorry, hash, not encrypted, if we wanted to put this kind of security controls in place for this kind of system, what's the problem we're trying to solve? What's the risk we are mitigating? And what happened over just a few months, I saw a tremendous difference in the kind of reviews that we were doing with the project. I saw project managers and the solution designers and the architects coming themselves. Oh, I saw in the policy that we're doing this because, oh, okay, so this is why we're doing that. I think this might be a good approach to solve that problem. I think this implementation would be good against the, that risk. And yeah, and even when we're giving the rejection, saying, no, this is not good, but this is why. This is the remaining problem. This is the risk. It shifted things com- entirely. Because it connected people to the context, to the purpose, and they felt informed enough to make a decision for themselves instead of being coerced into a certain type of behavior. It helped them to understand what was the problem we were trying to solve. What a difference a single question can make. It astounds me. And what a question, what a difference a, a book can make. Because I remember reading Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, and it was so much more than I expected. That book is truly transformative. You've made me want to reread it because obviously you have to sometimes go back to the things that can capture them perfectly at the moment. You use what you need in that stage of your life. And it's just 
using these kind of things, capturing bits and pieces that we can actually use over the years and use continuously with great results, it's so much better than reading 200 books and watching 700 videos and not doing anything with them. Exactly. I remember getting the question, I, th- I think it was a, a dev camp. What's the best book next to Stephen Covey's? What's the best book that I would recommend somebody to, re- to read? And I said, the best book is the one that you're going to start applying tomorrow. That's the best one. And I was saying in the presentation as well, there's no glory in reading 10,000 books and not applying any of them. It's, again, it's something that we can relate from security. Knowing about 10,000 problems and not doing anything about it is not as good as I know about five problems and I can solve them. Find the problems you can, you can solve, focus on, on fixing them. Find a book that resonates with you and apply it. Don't just rush into the next book. Take the time to apply what you learn. Again, making a parallel with, with auditing, with pen testing. I love making the shift from, well, we're just doing audits for the sake of doing audits. We're doing audits so we can say, we've done it. This is the report. This is everything that's wrong. Bye-bye. No, I'm shifting to, okay, we do the audit. We actually actually introduced pause cycles in the uh, between the audits. Okay, one year we do the audit. Next year, we don't do the audit. Next year, we focus on helping those teams to implement the changes that we recommended from the audit. Again, that makes a significant difference. I love that everything that you mentioned is so practical. It is so practical. It is so usable. And you've seen it work. You see it work every day. And I bet that there are tons of people. Well, I know that there are tons of people in this industry who do these things, but perhaps we don't have enough of a chance to to talk about them. We don't talk about them enough. We still focus on the more technical aspects, well, for the most part, simply because, like you mentioned, those are thrilling, the thrill of the chase, of the discovery, of the handling complex things. And it's this doesn't have to take away from that, but I feel that it actually enhances it. When you get to share it with the community, when you get to celebrate successes together, when you get to bond over experiences from which everyone learns. And I appreciate it so much that you've shared so many details and and so many examples and so many instances that really highlight how we can use compassion and empathy and kindness and all of the good stuff to make our lives better and make other people's lives better as well. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's the biggest point to take. Be good to yourself first and foremost. And with that in mind, thank you so much, Sebastian. This has been a wonderful conversation, even if technology wanted to interrupt and did interrupt, but... <laughs> Life happens. It does, it does. That was a very practical example. Hey, congrats. You made it until the end of this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And if you want to get the show notes and see the transcript and get other resources, head on over to cyberempathy.org. You'll find all of the episodes there and resources to help you have a more comfortable relationship with technology and security. Also, if you want to contact me, all my details are on there and I'll see you soon. Bye.